This presentation was from UX Australia 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Um, I would like to introduce Carolina um, from PTV. Oh, Transport for Victoria. Sorry, change of name. Uh, and she's going to be talking to us about designing in physical spaces. Thanks. Oh, is this working? Oh, yeah. Thanks. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here. We have a full house, so I'm excited about it. Thanks for spending, deciding to spend the next 45 minutes with me. Um, so just Donna said, I, I was back at PTV, and now I'm on Transport for Victoria, but we are still the same family working for, for Transport. So um, what I'm going to talk to you about today is about this project that I started with Flinders Street Station. But to set up expectations first, I just want to tell you what I'm going to walk you through. So basically what I'm going to tell you is uh, why we decided to set up a mock-up station, like a fake station, how we went about it, what we found through this process, what, we, what are the benefits that we got from it, and not just for stations, but for the way we work. So, first of all, let's start with the brief that I got on, on the problem space that the project gave me. So, this, this is a very familiar space. So, I started with the design team and they said, okay, we, we know the problem. And at the station especially, we have problems with crowd flow. So we have uh, assets located in the wrong places, creating dwelling points uh, in, uh, that, that are not efficient. We have problems with competing messaging. So we have advertising competing with passenger information. Uh, we have problems with an outdated system. So the system is 10 years plus old, so we have old screens, uh, we have uh, hard signage with information that it's very old. So maybe you, you can see there, but there is tape on, at the top because they had some operational information that doesn't uh, work anymore. We have uh, mixed messaging with uh, hard signage and PEDs covering them or vice versa. And on top of that, we have lots of constraints. So we have heritage constraints. So some of them at the industry is the clocks. They are referring to lines that don't operate anymore, but we just can't get rid of them. Uh, or this sign uh, at, <laughs> at the Great Subway that says that the train to St. Kilda, it's on platform 11, but it doesn't operate since 1981 or something like that. And actually, I found this post on LinkedIn, and this guy, he, he relocates expats, and he was talking about how hard it is to navigate. Melbourne. <laughs> so, but we just can't say, just get rid of that sign. And um, Elizabeth Street, the Elizabeth Street subway is it's a space that is very crowded. We have lots of issues with, uh, with that space. Uh, it's divided in two, so the unpaid area to allow people to uh, walk from Flinders Street to the South Bank, <laughs> and on the paid area for people that are going to interchange between platforms. Um, so we had a very complex environment, multiple platforms, so people moving in, in different directions, multiple entry points. We had multimodal connections, connections to trams and buses, and many services. Uh, multiple places of interest, so people wanted to, to connect to different places around the city. We have multiple directions, so people moving 
in and out the station, starting their journey, finishing their journey. We have people interchanging in platforms. We have people that just meet you under the clock. So this is just a place to be. Um, and on top of that, we have all types of users. And in government, we don't have the luxury of picking the users. We have to design for all. And design for all means designing for daily commuters and the frequent users, designed for those unfrequent users, like people going to the footy from time to time, tourists and visitors. And we have to design, of course, for the accessibility community. But beyond Flinders Street Station, what we found is that we have opportunities, not only for this upgrade, but for the new stations with the Melbourne Metro Tunnel, five new stations that will come in, in the CBD, plus the, all the 50 level crossing removals that, that we are uh, rebuilding. So um, that was the problem. But on top of that, the design team said, and we already have the solution. <laughs> and what they said is, why don't we just use the color system that London and many other cities around the world use? Uh, but the, thing, the tricky thing is that Melbourne is very special. We have the city loop. We have some uh, specific things. And we didn't know how exactly this would play in, in that space. So the first idea was very simple. Why don't we just test in, in the live environment? I know that Sophie's going to talk about testing in live environment. And we, we do that a lot. So we, have, we test things on bus stops, on tram stops as well. But the thing is that in the rail environment, safety is an issue. And when we asked permission, they said, uh -oh, testing things live in the rail environment, where are you going to get out of it? And I had to say, we don't know, because that, that's what we are testing. So. <laughs> Uh, it was really hard to test in, in, in the live environment, so that's why we ended up, so let's, let's just set up a, we started with a room, but then we said, let's create a mock-up station, but we really need to recreate all the complexity that I just walked you through. So we ended up in, in the mid-market in North, North Melbourne, which is a big warehouse with heritage um, elements, so it helped us a lot. Um, and we decided to create this new station. We call it Melbourne Station because we didn't want people to think about, oh, you're, this is not the real Flinders Street Station or this is not the real station. So we said, this is a new station. We just placed it in, in the network map. Um, and what we did was we recreated uh, and isolated the visual elements of wayfinding and information. We know that there are much more things, but we really needed to test all, only the visual elements. It means real-time information or the displays, the um, directional signage, identification signage, and the network information. So we didn't allow users to plan using their phones or any digital help. Or they didn't have customer to talk to, so that if they said, I want to talk to someone, we said, mm, sorry, in this station we don't have staff, so you just have to find your way. Um, we didn't test any audible information as well. So what we did is we tested during three days. We walked people, like 90 members of the public, through this space uh, during those three days. Uh, we tested three sessions per day, basically. And uh, we gave them a, a range of wayfinding tasks. So for many of you that are familiar with usability tests, this was all about giving them 
tasks to perform because we were we were measuring behavior. We didn't we didn't want to test um, preferences, and that's where the the team was used to asking people, "Do you like this sign? What do you think about this sign?" And we were just asking people, "Could you please perform this this task, and we'll observe you?" So basically, we gave them. Uh, Typical task, starting the journey at the station. We ask them to interchange, so you are going to get a tram or a bus, or you are going to, to take another train. You need to finish the, your journey here, and you need to find a, a place close by. Uh, we introduced disruptions in the task and see if they could find there was a disruption in their service. And we asked them in the, in, on their way to find facilities, find ticketing services, find lifts, or find the toilets. So during the three days, the first day we decided that even though we knew the problems around the current system, we needed a baseline uh, to understand how people behave in this specific environment. And on day two, we introduced the concepts of the new color uh, map with uh, the application of the colors in directional signage and, and real-time information as well. And, and we iterated through uh, the day, and we changed as we learned. So we additionally filmed people. So we had a CCTV system centralized, filming all day long. We film individual participants, so we use GoPros. Uh, sometimes the facilitator was wearing the GoPro, some other times the participant was wearing the, the GoPro. And what type of participants? So we engage tourists and visitors, we engage train users, so frequent and unfrequent users, because in the public transport world, it's, oh, it's different a frequent user versus a very unfrequent user. We engage non-public transport users. The first time that I proposed this, they were like, but why do we want to test with non-users? Well, th that's what we need to do. If we design a system for non-users, we'll be fine. And um, of course, we, we engage uh, the accessibility community, but in this case, people that will use visual elements of, of signage. So this is a video. Can you dial it up? So, we recorded uh, at Southern Cross some sounds, so we recreated the space. This is top of the signage, just cardboard. We had some screens as well, but it was just, it wasn't providing real-time information. We had some screens to recreate the environment. So I would say this was mid-resolution, so not high, but some elements to recreate the environment. These are the screens of the last day. Uh, each participant was being followed by one um, facilitator, so they were observing them and taking notes. Let's. So what you know, because it's like I don't have a blanket card, and I would just, I would normally go and just ask someone, because I would normally give you a blanket card. So those are the Mikey gates. Uh, just boxes. So the things that we were not testing, we didn't need any high-res stuff. So hard signage, the map, local maps as well. Yeah, and even two people performing the task, like we are together and we are performing the task. I found my machine. 
I am placing my Mikey in the reader, following the instructions. My name is my Mikey. I know. It's not that easy. So summer is cancelled. That's a shame, but that's okay. Crazy Burn in 10 minutes, platform 7, and it's yellow. North Melbourne is on the thing, so that's where I want to go. Platform 7 and yellow. So yellow 7 is this way. So I'm going to go this way. Okay, so yellow, platform 7, summer is cancelled. Oh well, what can I do? Um, I'll be yellow 7 in 30 minutes. Okay, cool. Um, 13 minutes on platform 7, the upfield one. Yeah, so we asked them to perform the task and think out loud all the time. Uh, this is the concourse that we recreated the first day. So if you see the, the screens are a bit different, so it was the, the current estate. And actually we changed the location throughout the days to see how they worked. We recreated multiple platforms platforms on the signs, but we just created two functional platforms to allow them to perform the task. And we recreated even a subway to connect the two platforms for interchange. Uh, we recreated multiple entrances, so it was not only the concourse, but uh, this was an exit on, on, on one of the platforms. And uh, when we connect them to places of interest, so we had signs saying this way to the MCG or the hospital or and not everything was high res, so the, for example, we, we were not testing anything on the train, so the train was just seats and black curtains and that's it. Uh, and we just, sometimes the task started there and we just had people, okay, you're just getting off this train and you're starting your journey here. Uh, this is very important for us. So the internal team, it was the internal research team, but no one was an expert in research, so it was just the design team. And, and us, uh, but we really wanted them to have first experience of, uh, with users and understanding users. So we trained them and basically the training was the only question that you can ask is what do you think? And we told participants, your facilitator won't be able to help you. We are really sorry, that it, that is, this is not being mean, it's just we are not testing you, we are testing the, the, the wayfinding system, but the only thing that they could ask is, is what do you think or what would you do if, in this case? We run debriefing sessions after each, each session to make sure that we capture every single detail of uh, each participant. So I just want to play this video and the design team will tell you how they felt with the process. Traditionally, the role of a designer or graphic designer is to work at the end of the process to try and then fine tune, look at the feel, the visual solutions, the way things look and communicate. Um, what we've been working on for a long time is trying to get a better understanding at the start of a project to influence our design outcome. And so the Wayfinding Week really was a shining example of that, that we were into the testing and insighting um, opportunity to then better design our products. But it's, it's not a complicated process. It's done with real people in real time, so I think. Uh, unless you experience that with them, it's so difficult for someone to come back and tell you, this is what I observe people doing. But when you see it for yourself, how people just react and light up and understand things without any content, and it, makes, it just makes you feel it's so good to be part of that process and, and it kind of justifies the work that you do. It's not a way that I've ever worked before, so to really 
to have a strong idea and then to test it and quickly resolve whether it was a good idea or not and, and learn and go through iterations. That's a really good way to work as a designer. As for learning as a designer, you know, designers can be quite arrogant and set in a way. We'll say that. And assume that they know the best way to proceed, but to really, you know, almost instantly test things and be able to change them and test them again really quickly is a, it's a great way to work. Um, and it's uh, quite a refreshing way. So, as you can see, they were really excited with the process and they learned a lot. So, now let's walk you through some of the findings. So, let's start with the obvious one. So, uh, it was obvious that the current system meets the broken system, the pits which uh, the pits its uh, passenger information displays uh, were really hard to use. It was really hard to find a station in the in the in the map, and it was just really um, hard to uh, memorize all the things that they had to memorize. So it's a very high cognitive load. So they had to memorize a lot of names and stations, and and, and with, in day two and three, just using the color system reduced the cognitive load. It was just as you saw with the previous video, yellow, 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 and that's it. That's what I need to know. Um, we asked at the, at the end of each task how they felt about it in terms of how easy was it to perform. So, um, government loves numbers, so we had to provide numbers. <laughs> so, 66% on the first day thought that it was easy, but it went up to 83% day two and three. Um, on top of that, we have that the first day they spent 42 minutes performing the task in average, and on day two and three it went down to 32 minutes, and even the last day we had people performing the task within 10 minutes. And, um, and about emotions, this is really important. It was really important for us finding that the first day they were saying, oh, I don't know, I'm guessing, this is a process of elimination, I'm not sure what I'm doing. And the last two days, it was all about, oh, this is easy. It was really, I feel comfortable. The color system helped me a lot. But that was the, the easy part. But what about the different types of users and the difference between train users and tourists? And uh, So let's have a look at the video first. But I'm just telling you that we were very surprised because everybody was performing exactly the same way. They were behaving exactly the same way. We were, we were kind of lost. You don't have to go to the train, but that's usually if you just got here. Um, so you just left this train, and you want to get another train to Mincha. Yeah. So how you go about it? So I would run back to the train. Okay. So I don't know what... So he travels every single day in the network, and he needs a map. So the index in the new map helped them to find the station. So Tobias is a tourist.
it's not sure what it is, so it's probably a smaller star. So I might look for a map with a smaller star. So a tourist and is looking for a map. thing that we found they had to go to the screen come back to the map then come back to the screen that's why we changed the last day and now Greg lives in Melbourne knows Melbourne really well but he never uses public transport Acknowledge. I know that this should be on this side of the of Melbourne. So after that, we were lost. So, so what do we do now? So, should we create personas? Well, there is no big point of doing that here. So, basically, what we found is, um, we ended up with this core inside that we are using now. So, basically, it doesn't matter what type of passenger you are. At the end, it's all about your mindset. Are you either in an unfamiliar mindset or you're in a familiar mindset? An unfamiliar mindset is this is my the first trip, my first trip, or this type of trip for the first time, and I need guidance, I need help. And I'm very familiar with this trip, I just need an update. What it means is that it was a mind shift in terms of, we always thought that a tourist was always unfamiliar, and a daily commuter was always familiar. And that's not the case. So even with the tourists, we found that after the second or third task, they were already familiar with some elements and they were already using those elements to perform the task. Uh, so if someone comes to Melbourne every single year to the Australian Open, they are familiar with the system, even though they are tourists or visitors. And a daily commuter, if they get disrupted, they will need information again as, a, as an unfamiliar user or unfamiliar mindset. Or if they are going somewhere else they've never been to. So this guy said, oh, I've never been to Mitcham, and I travel, and I know my line really well, but not everybody knows the whole network upside down. And that's what we were assuming, that because they travel every day, they know everything about the network. So basically what we are trying to do now is uh, designing for the extremes. The guide me, at the extreme of the tourists that didn't understand the difference between a tram and a train, and we never thought about that. Uh, and a very familiar user that is 
they, they just want to get the information as quick as possible on the way to the platform and just give me the update if my train is on time or not. And on top of that, the functional needs, because we were just always talking about, yes, we have to provide planning information, wayfinding, service information, but what about the way they feel? And the most important thing that we found is that we need to provide reassurance, certainty, trust, that, that I can trust in the system. So we found things with, with the interchange where they were like, oh, and they just saw the sign 10 seconds ago, but they're in a new space and I need more information again or reassure that I'm in the right path. So how are we using this in, in action? So for us, it was a mind shift for the wayfinding team that they were talking about assets. So we always put a totem here, a sign here, uh, a, a screen here. But now we think about the purpose of, of, of that asset. So before thinking about asset, we think about the purpose, what type of information. Are we designing this for the unfamiliar mindset? Are we designing this in a mix of, of uses before we decide what type of asset we need there? And even the same type of asset with a different purpose, we need to design it different. The content design has to be different. So now we realize that uh, for an unfamiliar mindset, we need a dwelling point providing real-time information and hard signage information and the map and network information at the same time so they have time to plan and we, we don't have to make them move around the station and finding for pieces of information. And for the very familiar users, we just provide a quick snapshot of information. So I just wanted the design team to tell you how they are using it now. Uh, those traits were <laughs> common throughout this. So a Sorry, tourist yeah. is always a tourist and a, and a, a regular commuter is a regular commuter. But it's really about their journey. It's about the journey they want at the time. And not one person knows the entire network. So if that single journey becomes disrupted or, or something changes on that journey, basically they need all the information again to be able to, to plan and work out the best solution for that. Um, so it's really fundamentally changed the way we, we think about customers using the network. Well, influence technology now, very much, we, we design our communication tools completely differently. So for one, one individual piece, we'll look at it from an unfamiliar mindset and as well as a familiar mindset and then try and design it to satisfy both ends of the needs rather than something in the middle. Which is something we would previously we often do a very good middle ground solution. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that mind shift of, okay, we were just doing something in the middle and we were not meeting anyone's needs. And now it's all the way in the extremes because the middle is very personal. So the knowledge of the network is very, very personal. So based on that, what we've been working on and how the future looks like in this space. So these are some um, concepts of how the information displays could look like in the future, but we are in the process of testing and iterating those. But for an unfamiliar passenger, we have this idea of why don't we have a directory, service directory A to Z, so they don't have to memorize that I just, if I need to go to Burnley, I just know that I have to go to platform three. I don't need to know what line is that on. 
Um, and for the familiar passenger, we are talking about information hierarchy, how we provide that information in a better way. We have lots of numbers here, so we have platform number, minutes to departure, timetable information. Uh, so we are playing with different layouts, and, and now we are getting into the detail of, of those designs, but we're still working on it. So based on that, what are the opportunities? So we are working on the detailed design of visual elements. Um, we have a big element here of non-visual elements that we have to work for, especially for the vision impaired users. Um, the digital team, they are using the core inside to design, to redesign the journey planner. So that's really important. Um, we know that we have opportunities with service designing in the customer facing channels as well. And um, we are working on frameworks and guidelines to influence environmental design. Because it's not just about the team coming at the end of the architectural design process and just putting up signs. It's influencing the space to make sure that we are meeting the familiar and unfamiliar mindset needs when navigating the space. And uh, at TFB, we are using this in a broader spectrum, so it's not just about public transport, but how we integrate this into an integrated transport environment. Uh, we've realized that uh, it's not just about public transport. It's, this mindset is it's for anyone moving, regardless of the mode that you're using. It's how we provide information for the unfamiliar uh, users using roads or walking in the city or cycling. Uh, it's exactly the same thing. So. We are just definitely trying to embed the user testing into that process. Yeah. So we're constantly talking about um, adding in that type of usability testing function. As a default. So as a default. So, yeah. So we need to do that testing before we can get the best design outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And we've used that 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 model to um, to. Stop a few projects <laughs> in the tracks yeah. and to actually even later in the process introduce them into to remove this the sort of subject uh, the, uh, subjectivity out of the discussion and make it based on what's best for the customer. And design always will be subjective. Yeah, some people like blue, some people don't like blue. But if we can stop those arguments and get away from those questions and say we've tested this with customers and this is how they react. So a huge spectrum of things that we can test in that space. You know, we were looking for something very specific using colour wayfinding and, and seeing how people react to that. But it goes beyond that, goes into accessibility. Um, it's so much stuff that we can learn through that way of testing. And also, we're scared of Carolina and because she <laughs> gets so passionate about you're testing that if we don't do it now, we'll it. So, so that's it. So it's not just about what we learn from this process, but for us, as being an internal team and having human-centered design, uh, for us this is really important and a really important exercise to show the organization how human-centered design can change the way we work and how we can provide better services to our users and customers through human-centered design. Yeah, so that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I love that you had that insight to stop talking about people as if they are a group and thinking about their behaviours instead. That's just 
so, so many times that it's just super insightful to go, oh, yeah, it's actually about what they do, not who they are. Yeah. <laughs> that was terrific. Um, my question is about whether or not you felt that you missed out on anything when you didn't have a crowd in the space. So when you had a... Yeah. So obviously one of the things that when you're in an unfamiliar place, there's this kind of crush moving in one direction and you yeah. kind of deal with obstructions and deal with all of that stuff. And the other part, I suppose, is the advertising getting in the way. All of the... Whether it's people advertising, whatever it might be. Yeah. Do you think the contrived scenario kind of gave you the best case scenario a little bit? Yeah. Well, in terms of advertising, we put a little bit of signs around. It was, it's not as busy as some of our stations. Uh, but anyway, we know that that's something that we really definitely want to change. It doesn't mean that we won't have advertising at the stations, but we have now a rule that is we can combine them because we are doing that a lot at the moment. And in terms of crowd flow, because we were not testing specifically crowd flow, so there are other methods that we can incorporate to that, but it was more about understanding the signs as well. So, yeah, but I understand that, and, and we know that it's not a perfect environment because we are controlling the environment. But we had a bit because many people were going, uh, were, were performing the task at the same time. Yeah, so. Yeah. Thanks, Carolina. That was fantastic talk. I love the core insights and the actionable insights. That's fantastic. <laughs> Great. Um, my question is around the logistics and getting the buy-in from your stakeholders and setting up <laughs> such an amazing physical space. And can we come visit? Yeah. <laughs> well, that that space is not ours. So <laughs> it's not there anymore. Well, uh, well with the. Um, with the stakeholder engagement and, and buying, actually Jordana is here and she made it happen. She helped me to do that. Yesterday we were talking about it and we started with, uh, we just have a small uh, budget and we just set up a room. But then when I started explaining the process, what we wanted to get out of it, it's, it's just, it was really easy to get people involved. That, oh, that's awesome. We want to do that. What do you need to do? And actually that's what Jordana said. Oh, what do you need? To, to make this happen. And then we just started and, and we made it happen. And at the end, we had the CEO and everybody coming in the last day and everybody was engaged. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks, Caroline. That was a brilliant piece of work. Um, I, I'm really interested. You alluded to it at the end about um, engaging with people walking and using other transport mechanisms. Uh, what's the, I mean, the political implications in trying to do that? If you go to, for example, South Yarra, you'll see their signage is shit. <laughs> and half-arsed, and like really, really woefully bad. How can uh, transport for, for Victoria work with people like local councils to try and have, you know, like the legible London thing? Like, are we going to have a legible Melbourne? Yeah, well, the the wife and team they are already working with local councils, especially with the the city of Melbourne and and, and the the councils close to the to the CBD. Uh, to create a, a unique system, a wayfinding system that is seamless. Because yes. Passengers, it's not about, oh, okay, up, up to here is PTV and from here is the council issue, right? Uh, and that, that's the problem that, that we have now. And we know that uh, we have to embed uh, location, like places close by. So it's not just about providing information of public transport, but it's the provision of, because people are not getting, their, their final destination is not the station. Is they are going somewhere else, and we have to help them to get there. How can you convince the council? Uh, this is this is a collaboration process, and uh, and and they are very open. Of course, 
it, it's a it's a long process to go through, and and it's going to take time, and and it's already taken two or three years, and and we're still working on it. Uh, but we all we all want to provide better services, so it's just that it's, it's a matter of of time, and and keep doing it, <laughs> trying to convince them. Yeah. Any other questions? Um, first thing I'd like to do is thank you for trying to fix Melbourne's public transport system and signage. <laughs> as a you know, first move, I don't catch the train in Melbourne because I've lived there for five years and I can't understand where the hell I'm going, even when I'm going from Spencer Street to Richmond. So firstly, thank you. Um, that might say more about me than you. Um, so my question is about, um, it, it was sort of asked there up the front a little bit, but I'd like you to elaborate on it. Um, so what lessons have you learned in uh, the ability to br not only just bring your stakeholders along with you with the journey, but uh, um, transform the organisation underneath you that you've taken on to other projects, I guess, other than a threat of physical violence, which we heard there from Dean <laughs> Well, what we are doing is basically where um, we, we take every single opportunity that we find out there, so small or large, so we've run small um, uh, assessments on, on stations or run some um, accessibility assessments as well. But it's, every single time, it, it's about engaging the stakeholders, uh, showing uh, instead of telling them the, the benefits, and, and they just get it. So every single thing that the designers said, is it was after they went through the process and they already it's a natural buy-in. They already know the, the benefits. And, and they become, uh, the, they, they spread the word. So that, that's what they are doing now. So they are, even though we are not there anymore because now I'm TFB and I'm, I'm not working with them closely, they, they are doing it by themselves. And they try to bring it. So it's just using yeah, every single small opportunity. We don't have to run the whole human-centered design process. So we know that uh, this is going to take time, and we know that it'll take us five to 10 years <laughs> to get where we want to get. But it's little by little, yeah. Uh, hi, thanks. Uh, I just want to ask if you explore any um, interactive interfaces, opportunities like um, um, you have in your shopping centers. Uh, or it's not really uh, acceptable for those spaces like that. Um, well, we haven't we haven't tested it. It doesn't mean that we're not open to it. But in general, uh, what we found so far is that those kind of things are very is for one person, and we should have like I don't know 200 screens around the station or something like that. So we need to fix first the basics and making sure that the backseats are working, and then we will move into, into new things. Yeah. Hi, thanks for your great speech. Um, I just wanted to know your reflections, I've never done it before, but using the GoPros for both a uh, participant and a moderator, and just how that played out in a good and bad way. I'd like to know. Yeah. No, it was, it was really good. Everybody was excited about it. It's just something to play with <laughs> but yeah it, it was it was really good and we didn't have any issues well we we told participants up front that they were going to be filmed and, and we had to go through the whole process of of signing uh, the consent so we didn't have issues on, on that part because from recruitment we, we told them um, and in terms of gathering insights is it's just watching the videos and going back to it to understand the behavior was, was, was really good, yeah. Do you think you're going to get 
No, we were just, it was just recording to, to have that, the, the footage, but we basically didn't have any, any specific tasks that had to do with, with the process. It was more about documenting the, the process. Yes. Thank you for sharing your absolutely gorgeous work. Uh, thank well you. Well done. <laughs> Quick question, how much did it cost in terms of time and dollars to set up that prototyping space? Yeah, well, that, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know that it, that it could cost a lot for many projects, so not everybody will have the luxury of, of doing this. Uh, it was around, can I say the figure? <laughs> okay, it was around $100,000. Uh, and um, uh, we, well, we started the planning process six weeks before that. Uh, it was really intense. I was working all day long on that because to make sure that that works perfectly, just designing the task, printing the material, um, uh, even training the, the facilitators and telling them you can't uh, prompt questions. You have to read the question the way I'm telling you to read it. Don't do it in your own words because you are going to introduce bias. <laughs> Those kind of things. So yeah, we spend a lot of time planning, and the design team was full on, in, on it as well, uh, designing. They helped me to design the space. Uh, the cost was more on having a production company that they produce events to help us put everything up because we just couldn't, couldn't do it ourselves, but yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jordana. I work with Carolina. Um, just to put that cost into perspective, so we yeah, were that's doing saying. this task to redesign all of the wayfinding and all the digital screens in Flinders Street Station, which is our busiest, biggest interchange station at the moment. So to do that, the investment overall will be around about $2 million or a bit more to actually yeah. execute. So investing at this level for any, you know, yeah. this kind of money in order to validate and mitigate risk and actually deliver a product that improves yeah. the experience is, I think, a really good investment. Yeah. And it, it was not only for... Yeah. And it's not only Flinders Street Station, but we are using this for, for every single station. So, and we, we have spent a lot of money in signage. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Well, I expect that you're going to be thanks. mobbed at lunch. <laughs> Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.